scripture reading this morning is in from Matthew chapter 6. If you're using the Bibles in the pew, it's page 1012 and it'll carry over into 1013. I'll begin with verse 1 and go through verse 21. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through 21. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they also have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who's on scene. Then your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men that they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen, and your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We're back in this series again, third week where we're looking at how do we get better spiritually. 
And, you know, we believe that if you get better spiritually, you just get better. Your whole life gets better. And so we've been talking about this because, frankly, you know, for a lot of us, we don't feel like we're getting better. At least not at the rate that we would like to. And, and the mistake that many of us make is that we treat this whole Christian life as just a, like a religious orientation, you know. And we, this is what we do. I'm a Christian, you know, and so I do the Christian routine. I show up on Sundays. You know, we have our varying routines. Some of us show up for Sunday school and church. Some of us just show up for church. Some of us do the whole, you know, the Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday meetings in between. You know, we've got it all of it covered. And we're all in different places. We've got our routines down. Some of us, we also sometimes pray or read devotional books outside of this. But we've got kind of the thing that we do. And that's what we do. We don't change it up much very often. We don't, you know, we kind of have our set routine. And then, you know, one day you wake up and you feel like, man, I don't know that I'm really making much progress in my faith. I don't know that I'm much more like Christ than I was a few years ago. And we kind of scratch our heads on that and we say, well, why not? But then we don't change anything, right? We don't do anything different and somehow we hope for different results. And that's that's just crazy. Normal isn't working. And so that's what this series has been about. We've talked about uh, meditation as a spiritual discipline to internalize the things of God so that we can better live them out. We've talked about prayer, all right, trying to align our hearts with God, with God, instead of just trying to get our, our part, get our stuff. And so we've talked about prayer and, and how we do prayer and, and that maybe we need to rethink prayer and treat it more as a spiritual discipline. Instead of just something that we do at mealtime or something that we do when we feel like we need something. But something that we regularly engage in to try and align our heart with God's. And today we get the most fun one of all, right? And it comes on Super Bowl Sunday when many of you, you know, you've planned out your meal schedule for this afternoon. You're going to, you know, normally you just eat three square meals a day, but on Super Bowl Sunday... I mean, it's like Thanksgiving or something, you know, we've got, but it's more like a snacky kind of Thanksgiving, and we have the, the guacamole, I mean, I walked in Walmart the other day, and there's just piles of avocados everywhere, you know, and they say that, I think Super Bowl Sunday, we consume more avocados than the whole rest of the year, you know, it's, a, it's unbelievable, but somehow that became the Super Bowl food, but, you know, we're going we're gonna to eat all day today, and then here we are this morning talking about fasting, what a downer, so... Here we are nonetheless. And I'm kind of surprised that I'm talking about it, to be honest. And I feel like God kind of twisted my arm on this because this is not my favorite topic either. So if you're here wondering why in the world am I here on Super Bowl Sunday listening to this guy talk about fasting, join the club. (laughs) How many of you have ever said, uh, you know, maybe you've even said this in the last week. (laughs) You know, it got, you ate a breakfast. Some, for some reason, it just didn't stick with you that day. And so about 11, before you were ready to go eat lunch, you're hungry already. And you say, I'm starving. Anyone ever say that? <laughs> Definitely when you were a kid, you said that, right? All of us, when we were kids, on a regular basis, I'm starving because, you know, it's been at least two hours since I had a snack. That's, that's just, it's typical. How many of you have ever heard the term hanger? Anger with an H on the front. See, I, I never heard of hanger 
until I met Julie, and and we were dating a little bit, and she's perfect, angelic, sweetie. And then one day I let it get a little bit too long before we got to the restaurant, and I learned about hanger. <laughs> this perfectly sweet girl all of a sudden was getting just frustrated about everything. I don't care where we eat. I'm past the point. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and I learned about hanger that day. That's that's when you mix. Well, that's when hunger causes anger, all right? So uh, a lot of us experience hanger sometimes, and, and so we have to watch out for that, definitely. And, you know, when it comes to fasting, we don't really like to, I mean, like real fasting, we don't like to touch it with a 10-foot pole because most of us get hangry, you know, and we don't, we don't really like ourselves when we're hungry. And, uh, and it, we don't like being hungry, definitely. If you start getting hungry, you eat something, and then you eat again. You know, I mean, we, we just, uh, we're, we're surprised that God even talks about this thing called fasting, because clearly he, they, the people of Scripture, must not know what we Americans know, that the way to get healthy, wealthy, and wise is three square meals a day, and dessert, and snacks in between if you need them. That's just how it works. A car, see they didn't have cars. We have cars. And we know that a car needs fuel to run. And likewise, humans need fuel to run. And so we don't think about not filling up our gas tank and think that's okay. And, uh, and similarly, we don't think it's okay just to go on not eating. That's crazy talk. And so we've mostly disregarded fasting. I know I have most of my life, my personal experience and relationship to fasting is pretty much abysmal, uh, honestly. It's, it's something that I'm not really proud of. And, uh, but, you know, I've, I haven't heard a whole lot of teaching about the topic of fasting. Not many preachers like to talk about it. And, and so when I do hear it, you know, I usually can rationalize away. Well, and, and honestly, it, it's usually watered down in the church when it is talked about. When we talk about fasting, it's not really like a biblical fasting that we talk about. It's, it's the American fast that we're okay with. And so since, I, maybe it's because preachers got tired of talking about it and no one wants to do it. And so they've tried to find something that's palatable. And, and so we've dialed it back to things like, you know, we'll just fast from something. You know, maybe it's desserts. You know, do you, you have a sweet tooth? Fast from desserts for a while. Or, or you know, do you have to have a coffee every morning? Fast from that coffee. But, but that's like, I mean, people give up something for Lent, you know, every year. Lots of people do it. It's not a big deal. And when we pretend that that's fasting, I mean, it might be a version of fasting, but it's not fasting. Fasting from a biblical standpoint, because some of us, if we haven't you know, grown up in the church or read about it much in the Bible, we may not know that much about it. But from a biblical standpoint, it's almost always abstaining from food and drink of all kinds except for water for a period of time. Oftentimes, probably most oftentimes, that's 24 hours um, that that's done. But on certain occasions, special occasions, that you might engage in a longer fast. And, you know, we just, we think it's crazy. And yet it's written all over the pages of Scripture. God's people have been practicing it uh, for a long, long time. And it seems like if it was really as bad for us as we sometimes make it out to be, you know, the car and the fuel and all that, then, then God probably wouldn't have prescribed it to start with, right? 
or okayed it. And trust me, if this was something that was tucked away in some corner of the Bible and, and just kind of a, an obscure thing, I wouldn't be talking about it today. But it's not. And so we're going to talk about it. We're going to look at it. And we're specifically going to look at some of what Jesus said about fasting. Now, we just read a little bit from the... It's an excerpt from the Sermon of the, of the Mount. It was a pretty good bit of it we, that Marlon read for us. And the first thing Jesus says in this section of teaching... is He says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men... To be seen by them. Because if you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. And this is like... Well, when I was teaching, they used to tell me, always start with your objective for the day. You know, what you want the kids to learn. The main thing, the main takeaway. And I think if if Jesus had a a marker board, this is what he would have written across the top. Alright, gang, this is it. This is the point today with this teaching I'm about to share with you. Don't do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. That's all you're going to, it's all the reward you'll get from them. Acts of righteousness, we could call them spiritual disciplines. They're things that believers do, right acts, we could call them. And we look at them, and Jesus talks about three of these acts of righteousness. He talks about three of them. And what's interesting to me is, that we've wholly embraced the practice of two of them and ignored the other one. (laughs) So let's look at the three things that Jesus says. And it's careful to note that what this objective is, is not to not do acts of righteousness, but to be careful how you do them. It's assuming that we're going to be doing these things. Jesus is assuming that these things... Our practices will be engaged in. But he's just talking about how we do it. We know this because he doesn't start each one with, if you, like, he doesn't start, if you give to the needy. He says, when you give to the needy. So, yeah, I mean, it's not exactly a command here. He's not saying, thou shalt give to the needy. He's just assuming that you're going to be doing that, and here's something I want you to know about it while you're doing it. And he says, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues. That's a scene, isn't it? You can kind of picture those, the, these religious wealthy leaders strolling in with their trumpet chorus. <laughs> I'm here to give to the poor now. <laughs> Everyone look, isn't this great? <laughs> I guess people still do that sometimes. Set up a good press conference. Make sure that everybody sees. Look what I'm doing. I'm a big philanthropist. Watch me. They do that to be honored by men. But I tell you the truth. They've received their reward in full. He goes on. He talks about prayer. And when you pray. Don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray. Standing in the synagogues. And on the street corners. To be seen by men. And there's that one story Jesus told of of the Pharisee standing in the temple and, and shouting his prayer out, Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that sinner over there. You know, that, those kinds of prayers. And he says, if, if that's the way you're doing it, then you'll have your reward in full. As in, people will think you're great and that's all you're going to get. You know, in both of these teachings, we're like, yeah, yeah, amen, Jesus. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying there. I, you know, we will. We will give to the poor, but we'll... 
you know, when we pass the plate in church, I won't look and see what they're putting in. You know, it's a good idea. Jesus, good thinking. And, and we're also good with the, the praying thing. Yep, you know, I, I'll have one of those showy prayers, you know. We'll just, I'll just pray humble. I think that's a good plan. Jesus, good job, good job. Then we come to the third one. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men their fasting. I tell you the truth, they receive their reward in full. And then he goes on to say, put some oil on your head, which I think is probably just kind of like their ancient version of gel. You know, just (laughs) make yourself look presentable. And we say, huh, yeah. Jesus, you know what would help make sure that we don't mess this up if we just don't do it. Right? I mean, if we don't do it, then we have nothing to worry about. We won't be showy with our fasting. It'll be good. Why don't we move on, Jesus? What else did you have to say? Oh yeah, that's good stuff. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth and where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Yeah, now you're getting back to the good stuff, Jesus. Hmm. Let's just kind of breeze over that other, that, well, I don't know what was going on there with the fasting thing, but I'm with you on the prayer, I'm with you on the giving, and I'm with you on the treasure thing. With this kind of summary point here, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think all those things, especially the giving and the fasting, have a lot to do with where your treasure is. A lot to do with it. Well, still, you know, I mean, he didn't say thou shalt. And it's true, Jesus never explicitly commanded it. It seems certain that he expected it. This is found a few chapters over. John the Baptist had some disciples too, and they came and asked Jesus, why is it that we fast and Pharisees fast, but you and your disciples, you don't fast? Jesus answered, well, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he's with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Why? Probably partly because when Jesus ascended into heaven, it's like the kingdom had come, and yet the kingdom had not yet come. There's this tension where there's the kingdom had arrived, and yet there was still evil in the world, and will be until Jesus returns. And so we live in this season from the time that Jesus ascended to the time he returns, where there's tension in the world. The kingdom is coming. And yet the kingdom has not fully come. So we fast and we pray. Jesus said they'll fast. Maybe they'll also fast because as Jesus often warned, you will face trouble. You will face suffering. You will face tribulation. You will face persecution. And we know that our brothers and sisters in Christ still face persecution to this day. As bad as they did in Rome in the first century. And so we fast and we pray. Jesus said they will. They will. Just not right now while I'm with them. It's amazing to me 
It's amazing to me that, that I, that we, have glossed over fasting and excused it away and swept it under the rug for so long. Most of us have. I mean, some of you in this room, you may fast all the time. I don't know. And if you do, then you're doing great. You're putting your gel in your hair and you're going on with life and we don't know and that's awesome. Most of us, I guess, are probably a lot like me and haven't done that great with it. But it's amazing to me that something like this that Jesus would talk about so much, that Jesus practiced, that the early church practiced after Jesus ascended into heaven and talk about in their letters in the early church that we have, that we've just ignored. We don't do that with anything else that is talked about so prom- that I'm aware of, that's talked about as prominently as this is. And yet this one, for some reason, it's okay to ignore. And I think there's a few reasons that we do this. One reason that I think we probably ignore it or we hesitate to fast is it seems extreme. It seems extreme to us, especially because of our culture, but also because of history, because there have been Christians who have taken it to extremes. And I don't know if we're all familiar, you know, how much of history and that stuff we're familiar with, but I think we're all familiar with Christians who take things to extreme. And that was really popular like in the medieval ages where people would you know, whip themselves and all kinds of things. And they would fast to extremes. And, and it was this way of trying to get closer to God by punishing yourself and your body, basically. And this fasting thing, not choosing not to eat, kind of seems like that to us. Like, why would you do that? It just seems extreme. And so we're not that thrilled with it. Another reason is it seems unhealthy to us, like we, I kind of was talking about earlier, you know, we feel, if you want to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, you eat three square meals a day. We've been doing that for a long time. If you don't eat three square meals a day, you're not getting the nutrition that your body needs. But I don't know, one guy I was reading this week said, you know, actually, there's health benefits to fasting. Now, there's an obvious disclaimer on, on this part of things that if you have, you know, if you're an expecting mother or you have diabetes or heart conditions or, you know, things like that, that, um, you know, it really could be unhealthy if you don't eat. So, you know, in your case, you definitely need to check with a doctor before engaging in any, any kind of fast or you might end up in the hospital, right? And we don't want that. But for most of us, fasting, you know, we think that we're starving at 11.30, right? <laughs> when actually starvation, true starvation, doesn't actually kick in till at least like 21 days to 40 days. That's the point at which your body starts breaking down cells and muscles and things. Uh, and, and for 21's really, from what I've read early, I think one medical thing I was looking at this week said 30-something to 40. Uh, but the book on fasting, I think he was wanting to be cautious. And so he said 21 to 40 days is usually when it kicks in. And you go through, most people experience from what I've read, because I haven't done this, but most people, they get to that point and like around day 9 or so, the hunger pain part of things just goes away. Your body is just running off of fuel that it's stored. And then at some point it runs out of that, 21 to 40 days. And the next time hunger pains kick in, it's time to quit the fast. You know, that's, it's time to uh, not mess around. But 
So that's what we read about like with Jesus fasting for 40 days in the wilderness. You fast, some people do, if you do that long of a fast, you cut it off at the point where real starvation begins. But let's do away with the notion that if we miss a meal, we're going to be malnourished. That's, That's something that's very American and not the rest of the world today or ever. And you think about people in Jesus' day. I'll talk about that in a second. One more thing. This is really ultimately what I think the reason is. And this one took some heart searching for me, so if it offends you a little bit right now, I'm okay with that. It offended me too. But I feel like we're slaves to our appetites. We're slaves to our appetites. We, you know, the slightest bit of hunger, we're grabbing for the granola bar, you know? We're slaves to our appetites, and that's the reality of it. And the reason that Jesus didn't have to preach on fasting beyond what he said about how to do it right and instruct people to fast is that fasting wasn't a big deal to them. I mean, first of all, he was talking to a Jewish audience and they fasted regularly. I mean, it was built into their calendar. Every day of atonement, 24 hours, everybody fasted. The whole nation was supposed to fast. Not only that, but most of the people Jesus was talking to were not rich people. And they knew what hunger was because sometimes they didn't have money for food. And so, missing a meal, you know, that was just part of life. I mean, they had all experienced that. They knew what that was like. The hunger thing, yeah, I mean, you know, big deal. You know, we fast all the time, but okay, here's how we should do it. And much of the world still today, they're doing good to get a good meal. And so, fasting doesn't sound so scary. I think that giving was probably more of a challenge for Jesus' listeners than fasting was. It was harder for them to let go of money than it was to fast. Because like I say, fasting... But for us, we live in a a unique society, really a uniquely affluent society, that we've got food everywhere, right? We've got food that would put kings to shame, you know? We've got, I mean, you go down to a buffet that has, I mean, king's tables of old wouldn't have the variety and of the food that we have. And we have such easy access to it, we can drive through, right? We can drive through. Pretty sure they weren't driving their camels through any kind of drive-through lane back then. And so we live in this unique time where it's, I mean, food is everywhere. We've got food all over the place. Even, you know, even our poor have easy access to food, that doesn't mean that there aren't hungry people in America, especially kids. Kids always get the bottom end of the stick, because even if we hand people food, we can't stop them from turning around and selling it to go get drugs or whatever, instead of feeding it to the kids. Hunger's still an issue in America, I'm not saying that it's not. But for most Americans... We're slaves to our appetites. This is probably, I'm guessing, the hardest message to hear that I've ever had to preach. And, uh, and so if you're having a hard time with it, <laughs> hang in there with me. We'll get through. But here's the deal. Fasting 
It combats our tendency to love the blessings more than the blesser. It's kind of like giving in this sense. Now see, a lot of you, you, you know how to give generously and even sacrificially. And you've practiced that. And, and what has it taught you? When, you? when you learn to give, especially when you learn to give sacrificially, where it's not comfortable, but you give anyway, it teaches you that there's more important things in this world than money. When you give and you give sacrificially, it teaches you. It reminds you. You feel it in your spirit. You say, okay, the things of God and God Himself is more important than any kind of possession that I could ever have or possess on this earth. It's all temporary anyway. And giving sacrificially reminds us of that. And fasting is similar in this vein. That it reminds us that the bread of life is more important than the best bread you can find at any bakery around. But if we're honest, most of us would rather be asked for a donation than to give up one meal. Am I right? I would. Ask me for money. Ask me to serve. Ask me to give up my time. I will show up and I will serve and I will donate to the cause and I will help you however I can. But don't ask me to give up one meal. Anyone else feel that way? <laughs> and that, to me, this week, for me, that was an eye-opener for me. I said, that doesn't seem healthy, spiritually speaking. To need something so bad. You know, I'd rather give you my time. I'd rather, I'll, give you, I'll give you extra money. You want extra money? We'll give you some extra money. But don't ask me to give up even one meal. Let's talk about what fasting is because I do want to ask you to commit again this week. And we may have less takers, but uh, I want to ask you anyway to commit. But before I do, I want to just talk some practical practicalities about fasting. And we've kind of touched on some of these, but not all of them. So just to be clear, from a biblical standpoint, almost always fasting involves everything but water. Everything but water. So, you can uh, jot these down if you want, so you remember this for later. But, you know, nowadays, we've turned, uh, some, in some ways, we've turned fasting into more like a dieting thing, right? <laughs> and if you're fasting to, to try and look slim, I think you're probably hitting the wrong motive there, too. <laughs> but... But, you know, nowadays we have the Daniel fast, right? That's around and, and popular, and, but not to be confused with the Daniel plan. And so there's all these different things that, that we do with fasting. But from a biblical standpoint, almost always, fasting is everything but water. It's usually private, but sometimes it's corporate. We, we get the impression that it's usually a private thing from, like, Jesus' teaching that when you fast... You know, don't be showy about it. But we, but most of the occasions where we hear about fasting, or a lot of them, it's because 
a group of people are fasting. You know, either the nation of Israel is being invaded and the king says, we're going to have a time of prayer and fasting. Come on, everybody. Or, you know, the early church, you know, they're dealing with uh, persecution and stuff, so they fast and they pray. And so there's cases where it's private and there's cases where it's corporate. And, and probably, you know, there's some of us, if you're anything like me and you're hearing a sermon on fasting and, you, and, and, and the preacher's asking about committing to fasting, then, then you say, well, hang on, Jesus said that it's, you know, it's supposed to be a private thing, it's supposed to be between me and God, and, and what, are you, what are you getting at here? And I'm a little uncomfortable with you talking about it that way, but first of all, the commitment we're asking for today is between you and God. Unless you share it with me, I'm not going to know. <laughs> or unless you distort your face, like Jesus said, <laughs> and mess your hair up and go around walking funny. <laughs> and secondly, like I say, in Scripture, there's a lot of cases where it is a corporate thing. And churches still today, and I'm sure believers overseas facing persecution and things like that. I mean, they, they get together when something, when they're facing something big, they get together and they fast and pray about it. I hope that if Cypress Street Church of God is ever facing something really big, that we can call together and say, hey, this is going to be a time of fasting and praying about this because we need to face this down, whether it's a evil in our community that we're facing or a struggle that we're facing as a church. And what a shame if we needed to pray and fast together and we didn't know how. Because we'd never practiced. The last thing about fasting is it's usually closely tied to prayer. Oftentimes in Scripture when they talk about fasting, it's right adjacent. I mean, Jesus, right? Giving, praying, fasting. They're right there next door to each other, praying and fasting. And oftentimes they're in the same sentence together. Praying and fasting. Fasting and praying. Praying and fasting. Why does prayer fit with fasting so much? I mean, for starters, probably because of the reason we fast. I mean, like we said earlier, fasting reminds us that the, you know, the blesser is better than the blessings. It helps us put God in the number one priority seat. That God, you matter more to me than everything. And, and if that's our goal, then of course we're going to be praying. We're going to be talking to God. We're going to be aligning our heart with His, like we talked about with prayer last week. But oftentimes... Fasting and praying occurs when there's a deep burden for something. You know, your, your child wanders off, is lost, either spiritually or physically or both, and you fast and you pray. You do both. Because fasting emboldens your prayers and it focuses your prayers. It's not about earning God's favor. It's about getting your heart right. Because this is something that matters intensely to you. And so, fasting is usually closely tied to prayer. We've got these different commitment levels on here. At first, you know, I thought about putting a, a like an easy starter on there that would be something like give up coffee you know for a month or whatever and I, I just think I mean, people do that or attempt to do that all the time and it's not even really what they're talking about in the Bible 
And so, but by the flip side of that, I didn't want to put down an option that said, you know, fast for 21 days, right? Uh, because, and like I, I read a book on spiritual disciplines, and he was talking about fasting in and, and this chapter, and, and it's by Richard Foster. If you ever, he's got a lot of really good stuff out there if you ever want to look at Richard Foster. But uh, and his point was, you don't start with a really long fast, you know, just like you don't start with a marathon, you know? You, you do something first and you work up to it. So, you know, he recommended something like this. And so this is what we started with is as a basic thing to start is just to skip two meals. You go, you like, for instance, you could eat lunch and you don't eat again until the next lunch. Just kind of get your body used to the idea. All right. Uh, and so the second level commitment level here is to commit to fast from two meals a week like that. For three straight weeks. And then in the fourth one, try going longer. So I encourage you to try this. I encourage you to build it into your life. If you're someone who, you know, hey, I do have diabetes or I do have a heart health conditions that I'd be concerned about, then your commitment level can be just committing to learn what fasting would be appropriate for you. And it may be. Uh, Something where you know the doctor might say, "Well, you I mean you could eat like vegetables, you know, stuff like that. Just keep it to that for a while. Vegetables and water, and that would be safe for you." Or he might say, "It's a bad idea, but you could give up dessert." <laughs> Who knows? But definitely don't just take off and run with it, and then I have to come see you in the hospital. All right? If you've got a, a health issue that you're facing, check into it first. But you can commit to doing that. Because I really believe that we were meant to be a people who fasted. I mean, Jesus said, when you fast, when you fast. He said, they will fast. Like I say, for some of us, I know this message is hard to hear. You don't want to hear it. I didn't really want to hear it. You may not agree with it. You may be rationalizing in your head right now or arguing with me point for point in your heart. And I've been in your seat before. So that's all right. My prayer continues to be that the Holy Spirit will speak to your heart and open up our hearts as He's opened up mine on this. As I found in myself something that felt a little bit like the rich young ruler that came to Jesus and asked what more he needed to do and Jesus said, give away all your money to the poor and he walked away sad because he loved his money more than God. And, uh, you know, that's a kind of an, it feels like an extreme circumstance, but the point of it being that for that guy it was money. And for me, I feel like this week I was told that it's something else. That I found something else that needs to be put down in my life. See, I don't want to be a slave to my stomach or my appetite. I'd rather it be a slave to me. Because I think that's the way God intended it to work. I want to know in my heart of hearts that the bread of life means more to me than any bread of this world. That I actually do love the blesser more than the blessings. How about you? At the very least, think about it. Pray about it.
Let's pray about it now. Father, we declare that you are infinitely better than anything this world has to offer. Better than life itself. And God, we have to admit this is a hard one for us. We admit, God, that sometimes we hold food a little too dearly. So Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts on this matter today. Meet each one of us where we are. God, don't hesitate to convict where conviction needs to happen. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.